Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. To Revelation chapter 2. And then after you turn to Revelation chapter 2 and put a bookmark in there, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. How do you know that something is genuine and trustworthy if it has not first been tested? We test things to make sure that they work to make sure they are genuine, to make sure that they are true. And we see what happens when corners are cut on the testing of a new product, the testing of a new software system. We see what happens when someone believes that something has value and only to find out that it is, in fact, counterfeit. I have a friend who uh, has been a pastor in the past, and when he was a pastor, he went to the bank to deposit some money that someone had given to him. In fact, he went to one bank, and he, and he cashed a, a check and was given a, a large bill, and then he went to another bank to deposit it. And when he went to deposit the money, the teller said, I'm sorry, sir, this bill is counterfeit. He said, I just got it from another bank. Well, it, it passed through their system. Their system missed it, but our system caught it. This is a counterfeit. And then he had to go through the process. Where did you get this? Do you have any more like it? This bill is counterfeit. How do you know that something is genuine if it has not been tested? The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 is speaking to his specifically Jewish brothers and sisters who have been scattered around the empire in what is called the diaspora. They've been scattered, and by persecution, the church has been scattered. Remember that the church began in the city of Jerusalem, but because of intense persecution, the Christians, most of them had to flee the city, and then, of course, judgment was coming, so there was a time in AD 70 when they all had to flee the city, but the people were scattered and the apostle Peter is writing to believers who are being persecuted believers who are going through trials and he says to them in verse 3 blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto the lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in other words you have hope because Jesus is alive Not because of your circumstances, but because of your Savior, you have hope. And notice that our hope is in his resurrection is to an inheritance, verse four, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept 
by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. If you are saved today, you have something to be thankful for. It may not be your finances. It may not be your health. It may not be your family situation. It may not be anything in your circumstances. But if you are saved today, you have the hope of eternal life guarded in heaven for you where it cannot be stolen. Because of faith, we have God's grace, salvation, Peter says. And in this, we should all, not just once a year and not just once a week, we should always greatly rejoice, though, now for a season. Life comes in seasons. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Some of you are in a season of grief, in a season of pain, in a season of loss. But I say to you, God says to you from his word, ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Your suffering is for a season. It's not forever if you know Jesus. The tears are not forever if you know Jesus. Yes, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials. That notice, why does God allow this to happen? Why did God allow Job to go through all that Job went through? That the trial or the testing of your faith being found more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glorying at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving. We are receiving the end of our faith, your faith, even the salvation of your souls. How do you know that something is genuine if it has not been tested? God says, I'm going to allow you to go through some things. I already know, but I want you to know. I want the people around you to know whether or not that faith you profess is something you actually possess or not. The testing of your faith is the trial of fire, and God will allow us to go through some fire and through some trials so that our faith is proven to be genuine. There are a lot of people who think they're saved who are not saved. They pray to prayer. Repeat after me. They pray to prayer. They walked an aisle. Now, praise God, I, I prayed a prayer when I received Christ. I'm not saying you don't need to pray a prayer. You need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, if you will believe that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, God the Son became the Son of Man. He, he was born of a baby. We're going to be singing about that soon. I know some of you were hoping for Christmas songs this morning. Wait till next week. We'll be singing some Christmas songs, okay? We'll be singing some Christmas hymns. We're singing about the time when God became a man. But why did he become a man? So that he could grow up and live a sinless life. Die for your sins on the cross. And rise again the third day. Literally, physically walk out of that tomb. According to the scriptures. And so if you will call upon the Lord. You can be and will be saved. But how do you know whether that faith is genuine or whether it's just a prayer you prayed to make mama happy when you were a little kid? It's just an aisle you walk because everybody else was walking the aisle that morning. And I didn't want to be left behind in the seats when everybody else in my class was raising their hand or they were going forward. 
How do you know it's genuine? The trials, the testing of your faith, if you have true faith, will prove the genuineness of your faith. Doesn't mean that your faith is perfect or in it, that it is flawless. That's why we go through the trials. That's why you go through the fire. That's why gold throws, goes through the fire to purify it. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have questions. Read the Psalms if you don't believe me. Men of great faith who had great questions and great struggles. But the tested genuineness of your faith. Now with that in mind, go with me to Revelation chapter 2 because we're going to look at a church that was tested today. Faith that has not yet been tested has not yet been proven genuine. It may be genuine, but you just can't know it's genuine until it's been tested. And so God is going to allow us as individuals and us as churches to go through some things, to go through some trials. You better get this down because God only knows what the next few years and maybe even the next few months holds for the church of Jesus Christ and the trials that could very well be coming. We're seeing it happening and happening in other countries, other quote unquote democracies. What is already happening to the church? What will happen to us? Whatever happens, we may we need to be ready. Hebrews 11, by the way, says that the world is not worthy the world is not worthy of those who suffer and even die for Jesus Christ. And so we have in these seven letters, one book to the seven churches. Yes, these are historic letters. Yes, these are prophetic letters. We'll see that again this morning. But they are symbolic. They are types of churches. They, these letters, including this one, includes commands and warnings and promises for every believer in Jesus Christ, every phase of the church age. And so in Revelation chapter 2, we have already talked about the church at Ephesus. Now this morning, we're going to look at the persecuted church. Smyrna, the persecuted church. What you're seeing on the screen is a picture of dried resin. And this dried resin is called myrrh. And the reason I'm showing you a picture of myrrh is because the church of Smyrna, Smyrna means myrrh. This church was named this after the city, and this city was named after myrrh. Myrrh is a, is a resin, a dried resin that comes from a particular plant. It grows in, in a couple different regions of the country. Sometimes it's a plant, sometimes it is a, uh, a tree, but it is grown uh, from or taken from thorny branches and from the thorns of this branches myrrh is produced now we're following uh, the format that Jesus has laid out for us in the seven letters and so in all of the letters they start the same way they start with the opening address and Jesus says to the angel verse 8 of the church in Smyrna these churches were not just chosen because of the people that went to the churches, but because of the names of the churches, the names of the cities where these churches were found. Because as we look through all seven of these letters, we see every time, all seven times, the name of the city, the meaning of the name reflects the message given to the church in the city. It is not a coincidence that this church is called Smyrna, that it is called myrrh. 
Myrrh has many uses, even today used as an incense, a fragrance. It has various medical applications, but it has also been used in the embalming process. And that is why uh, Bible scholars and students believe it was one of the gifts given to Jesus as a baby. Not as a firstborn baby, because the shepherds were there on that first night. The wise men came a little bit afterwards. They weren't all there together, if you read the text. But when the star showed up, the wise men got their journeying party together. They got their caravan together, and they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh, symbolic, even given to this baby child, that this baby was born to die. Born to die for our sins. And as 1 John 2, 2 says, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so this church, as the church of Ephesus, pictures for us prophetically the apostolic church. It's the only church, it's the only letter where the, the word apostle is, is found. This church prophetically pictures the persecuted church. Now, again, it is historic and prophetic. How do we know that? How do we know that these letters are prophetic? Because we have almost 2,000 years of church history. We're not just making prophetic predictions. We are following prophetic patterns that Jesus himself has laid up out for us in these seven letters. And we now know what this church did not know, that the 10 days promised, the 10 days of persecutions were prophetic of 10 literal Days, not literal 24-hour periods, but literal, literal time periods of Roman persecution. I want to show you a, a picture with the, uh, the branch from which myrrh is taken, one of the many branches from which myrrh is taken. I'm not going to uh, dive into this. I just want you to uh, see this for yourself. The, teven, the, the, ten, the ten Roman persecutions, beginning with the Persecution led by Nero, which resulted in Paul being beheaded, Peter being crucified upside down. Domitian was the first of the emperors to demand to be worshipped as God, who declared himself to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, a type of the Antichrist. Domitian was the one who exiled John to the Isle of Patmos. We have Trajan and Marcus Aurelius, Severus, Maximus, Decius, Valerian, Aurelian, Diocletian. Ten emperors who had ten official times of persecution. Ten official Roman persecutions against the church. I got this list, by the way, from Tim LaHaye's commentary on Revelation. He got it from Haley's Bible Handbook. Um, but you can check this out for yourself. Ten Roman persecutions. This is about persecution, friend. We are living in a very unique period of church history, in a very unique place in geographic history, a place where the church is not endured a lot of persecution yet. We're going to talk more about that, about why that is when we get to the church at Philadelphia. But we are in a unique unique period of history, unique period of history, unique place in the world. Most churches in the world today are enduring persecution. They are enduring martyrdom. We're going to have, Lord willing, 
Uh, Dr. Vernon Brewer with us in, in the middle of January, January 15th. The founder of uh, World Help is going to be here. I, I uh, pray and challenge you to, to make that a priority to be here as well. He is going to come specifically to talk to us about the persecuted church. And what does Jesus say to the persecuted church? What does he say to us who could be facing persecution? The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 8. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Jesus says to those who are persecuted and to all believers, I am the first and the last, and I am the one who is living and resurrected. In other words, friend, death is not the end for the believer. And Christ, our creator, will always have the final word. I am the last word, he says. I don't only get the last word. Social media, CNN, talking heads, like those little uh, uh, trinkets, you know, the mouth with no brain attached, you know, is what we see. You wind them up and they sit on the counter. That's what you have today. Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, MSNBC, Fox News. I don't care what, what slant it is. The billionaires own most of the media, whether it's conservative or liberal. They're owned by the people with the billions and more. Jesus Christ will have the last word. Not a president, not a king, not a Supreme Court justice, not a celebrity. Jesus Christ will have the last word. And to those of us who are here grieving this morning, I remind you of the promise of God. Resurrection awaits every believer who trusts in Jesus. On the way to Lazarus' tomb, Jesus told a grieving sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And I'm going to prove it to the world because I'm that brother of yours that's been dead for a few days and stinketh, the King James says. Yeah, stinketh. He's going to maybe need a bath, but he's going to give it to himself because he's going to live again very, very soon. Was it an hour later? Was it... Was it 20 minutes, I don't know how long the journey was. But Jesus gave the command and the dead awoke and walked out of the tomb on his own. He only needed help getting the grave clothes off of him. Death is not the end. Christ will have the final word. And whatever your circumstances today, I would remind you, your circumstances are not the final word. The debt collector is not going to give you the final word. The doctor is not going to give you the final word. Jesus Christ has the final word. Jesus Christ has the final word. Now, as always, we have not only the opening address and the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have the examination of the church. And so to this church and every church and to Memorial Heights Baptist Church, Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works because Jesus, remember, is in the midst of the seven lampstands, the menorah, which represent in John's vision, the seven churches, Jesus is in the midst of every church. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is here today. 
His spirit is here today. His spirit indwells. First Corinthians chapter three indwells not just the individual believer, but the church. And so we as a individual can choose whether to grieve God or whether to submit to the Holy Spirit and bear his fruit. So also every church can make that decision communally, corporately as a fellowship. Are we going to grieve the spirit who indwells us or are we going to yield to him and see love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the spirit being manifest among us and through us as the body of Christ, one to another, as the spirit gives us spiritual gifts to manifest. Paul calls those spiritual gifts the manifestation of the spirit. But Jesus himself says, I didn't just send the spirit. I know your works. So let's talk for a second about the circumstances of this church. They were enduring physical. The word here is tribulation. It means persecution. I told you before. Second Thessalonians chapter one. I don't remember if it was a Sunday morning, Sunday night. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Not going to take the time to go there. You double check me on this. The Apostle Paul says there are two tribulations. The present tribulation, which is of the church, and it's the world persecuting the church. And Paul says, because of what the world is doing to the church, there's another tribulation coming. And it ain't for you guys. It's not for the church. It's for the world because of what they've done to the church. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to occur after Jesus gets us out of here, First Thessalonians 4 and 5, when he gets us out. Because we are not appointed to his wrath, but he is going to drop his wrath on this planet and it's going to be literal hell on earth because hell revelation 9 is actually going to open up hades is going to be opened but this church is is finding itself in the first tribulation the tribulation from the world of the church they have secondly temporary poverty poverty the word means literally in the greek destitution destitution I have never known destitution. I've known poverty. I've had $12 in the bank, not knowing how I was going to pay my bills the next month because I didn't want to go to mom and dad because I was living on my own at the time and I didn't want to go to mom and dad and say, uh, I, don't, I can't pay my bills. I understand poverty, but I don't understand destitution. I've never been destitute. I've never been digging for something to wear. Quite the opposite. What, which, what, thing, what sweater am I going to wear today? What, what did I wear last? I don't want to wear the same thing two weeks in a row because even I don't remember. Somebody else might remember. I don't want to look like I only have one sweater, right? Some people do only have one sweater. Some people do only have one jacket. Some people do only have one pair of pants. This church was destitute. And they were enduring the verbal blasphemy of the synagogue of Satan. Let me give you a couple things here about uh, what Jesus is saying. Number one, tribulation is inevitable. But it is variable. Some of us go through very little tribulation. Very little. Oh, the guys at work make fun of me because I read my Bible at lunchtime. That, that, listen, I'm not belittling that that's painful. I'm not belittling that, that there isn't pain in that. But it's nothing compared to when you are hiding under the floorboards, saying you're whispering your prayers because they are looking for you. I mean, we have we have genocide of Christians in Africa, in different countries, Nigeria and other places around the world today. Genocide. And our leaders say nothing. Because they don't profit from standing against it. 
they profit from the people who are doing it. And if you think God doesn't hear that, I remind you, God will have the final word. God will have the final word. Tribulation. So all Christians face some tribulation. That word means pressure. Second Timothy chapter three, everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer pressure, will suffer persecution. This is not the tribulation. This is not the great tribulation. This is our tribulation. Listen, if the devil is not persecuting you. It's because he's not your adversary. Peter says your adversary, the devil prowls around. If you're not getting spiritual attacks, it's because you're working for the wrong team. You better check what uniform you you put on this morning in the spirit. Devil, devil will let you do what you want to do if you're going to cause division and you're going to be a backbiter and you're going to be a fame seeker. He's going to let you destroy yourself because pride goes before destruction. Devil says, I don't have to worry about them. They're going to destroy themselves. They're going to eat themselves up. You stand for the Lord. You will be persecuted. Number two. Let me say to those of you who have legitimate needs, poverty is a test, not a punishment. Again, I have never been destitute. I have been poor. I've been po, but I have never been destitute. But for those believers who are, poverty is not a punishment. We have a heresy infecting the church today, this prosperity gospel, which is no gospel. God doesn't want you to be sick. God doesn't want you to have any financial needs. God wants you to be rich and to prosper. Yes, he does, which is why he keeps our treasure up there. So it doesn't rust and it doesn't break. Which is why he has a body prepared for you that's never going to be sick again and never going to have need again and never going to get tired again and never going to have aches and pains again. That's not the apostles experience. That's completely foreign to the church at Smyrna, which was in intense persecution. Listen, James tells the Believers in James chapter one, count it all joy when you endure many different kinds of trials. In chapter two, he reminds them, you are heirs of the kingdom. You're heirs of the kingdom. You're on you're on assignment right now. And maybe you dropped your wallet and you don't have a lot. On assignment and you're dependent on others. But you're a child of the king, if you know Jesus. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You are rich in the spirit. We'll get to that in a second. And third, thirdly here, blasphemy from pagans, notice, is a blessing, not a curse. They were being blasphemed. The church, the, the Greek indicates it wasn't just they were saying bad things about Jesus. They were saying bad things about the church. But when you criticize and attack and say things that are not true about the body of Christ, it is still blasphemy because we are the body of Christ. You speak ill, you attack, you verbally attack that church, this church who is I'm not talking about calling out false teaching. That's what Jesus is doing here. And I'm talking about just being critical and mean spirited. You are speaking about the body of Jesus Christ. You are speaking about the bride of Jesus Christ. Don't talk bad about my wife. Don't talk bad about me. Don't talk bad about my wife. Don't talk bad about my son. Right? That's my, that's my baby girl. That's my bride. We are his bride. 
I won't go to that church full of hypocrites. Congratulations, you'll fit right in. Hypocrisy is not a church problem. It's a human problem. It's a human problem. I don't care if you're, if you're an atheist, an agnostic, a theist, a Baptist, a Hindu, or a Muslim. We're all sinners. That's why we need Jesus. That's why there's only one way. Because we're sinners who can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil things against you. Why? Because it's fun to be talked about? Because it's fun when people make fun of you and say things about you that aren't true? No, because great is your reward in heaven. And they persecuted the prophets. And they were going to persecute me, Jesus said. Jesus said. You, Jesus told the disciples later, he said, you think you're, you're better than me? You think you're above your master? They're going to crucify me. You don't think they're coming after you too? Again, if you're, if you're not being attacked by the enemy, it's because you're not his enemy. Now, the word blasphemy here means, literally, blasphema means slow to call something good, something that is good, good, or slow to identify what is truly bad, helps word studies. In other words, it's what God was declaring in Isaiah 5.20 when he declares a curse, a curse. Say, I don't believe in curses. Well, then read your Bible. You're not reading your Bible. That's why Jesus is the curse breaker. God says, cursed is anyone who takes something that I have said is good and they call it evil. And cursed is anyone, something that I've called evil and you call it good. And it's why Paul in Romans 1, after he lists a whole list of sins, he said God's judgment is coming not just for the people who commit the sins, but for the people who approve of these things. You're not doing it, but you're clapping for it. You're, you're giving thumbs up on Facebook. You're approving of it. God said judgment is coming for that because it's a curse. It's a blasphemy. Now, my name's not Kanye West, but let me get into trouble here for a second. You're familiar with what I'm not here to comment on what Kanye said recently that got him in hot water, um, lost him millions of dollars. But we have to speak the truth of what God's word is. This is not something that Jesus is saying about an entire group of ethnicity. He's not saying this about all people who are ethnically Jews. But I'm not going to skip over this because it might offend somebody. Jesus, and I'm not going to try to rationalize this and try to change what Jesus said to fit what is comfortable. Jesus said that those who claim to be Jews are not really Jews if they're going to a synagogue and saying they're worshiping my father and rejecting me. Jesus said, that's not my dad's synagogue. That's not my synagogue. That is Satan's synagogue. Okay? Now, we can learn a lot from the Hebrew people. We can learn a lot about our Old Testament from those who know Hebrew and know how to interpret it. But, friend, if you don't know how to understand it, if you are rejecting Messiah, Jesus said, you are in the synagogue of Satan. So you can go to that synagogue all you want. You can give. You can go through all the human rituals, all the pharisaical rituals, which are now the rabbinical traditions, right? Because the temple was destroyed, they had to create a new religion. 
And they had to come up with this oral tradition. And they had to create this new religion, which Jesus said is not my religion. It's not the old covenant. There is no verbal oral tradition. That is a synagogue of Satan, and it's leading Jewish people specifically to hell. Jesus is not damning the entire uh, Jewish people, but he is saying, as, and Paul said this, by the way, the Apostle Paul said this, the, the Jew is not one who is simply circumcised outwardly. You've got to be circumcised in your heart. He's quoted, by the way, he's, re- he's paraphrasing what God said in the prophet Jeremiah about the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah chapter 9. It doesn't matter if you are physically, genetically descended from Abraham if you don't know the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. Do you remember, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, you think you, you got standing with God because Abraham is your daddy? God can, of these rocks, raise up people to be his followers. God doesn't need you because you are genetically descended from Abraham. The synagogue of Satan is those who say they are Jews and are not. They're biologically Jews, but they're not spiritually Jews. They will receive none of the spiritual blessings. In fact, they will receive condemnation above and beyond what the Gentiles will receive because they've rejected their own Messiah, because they're denying the testimony and the prophecies of their own scriptures. And let me remind you that Satan often disguises his servants to infiltrate. Paul warned uh, in Galatians about false brethren who were infiltrating the the churches of Galatia and they were teaching people to observe the Jewish customs. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, hey, the law is good if you use it lawfully. The law has benefit for us as Christians, but it's not to tell us how to live. It's to tell people how not to live. First Timothy chapter one, the law still speaks about what God hates and about the sins that God considers sin. And so we still go to the law. We still go to the Ten Commandments to see here's what God says you shouldn't do. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't covet. But the law no longer has the power to tell us. Here's how you get right with God, because Jesus finished all that. Jesus had the final word on all that. Paul says when Jesus died on that cross, he took that ordinance that was against us and it was nailed to the cross with him. It's 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 double jeopardy, right? It's double jeopardy. Am I a sinner under the law? Yeah. Am I worried about it? No, because in Christ, I've already been executed. I've already paid that. He paid it for me in Christ. I've already been. I can't be tried for that again. I can't be re-executed for that again. Christ bore my payment. It's done. And so we need to remember, though, that Satan will bring in people into the church who they say the word Jesus. They use the, the word gospel. They talk about the spirit. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit than the one that you received. So here's the commendation to the church. The circumstances are rough, but here's the commendation. Thou art rich. Thou art rich. Thou art rich. Now, I've already referenced it, but Matthew chapter 6, true riches 
are not temporal. They are eternal. True riches, not how much you have in the bank account here. It's how much treasure you have stored in heaven that is waiting for you, kept in heaven for you, where Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Why you want it all now? Why are you so concerned about what you have now? You're, it's all going to break. It's all going to go out of style. It's, it's all can be stolen. It all has diminishing returns. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And to this suffering church, he says, you are rich. And to those of you who are suffering and suffering well, I would say, you are rich. There is a reward for you for the testimony that you have carried through your trial, through your suffering. You will not suffer in vain. The Apostle Paul says the sufferings of this life are not even worthy to be compared. It's, we shouldn't even compare them, Paul says, with the glory that will re be revealed in us. Amen. You are rich. Now, let me, in this, just make one quick distinction. I want you to remember, I will tell you every, every breath I every chance I get, salvation is based on grace through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by anything that we do. We are only saved by His grace. And how do you get His grace? By placing your faith in Him, His death and resurrection. By admitting you're a sinner who needs forgiven. By calling on Him and receiving Him as your Savior. You are saved. That's not works. Paul says, that not, Paul says that is not works. That is faith. You need to receive God's grace through faith. I can't receive it for you. If I could, I would. God won't receive it for you. He has commanded you to respond by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has the power to speak life to the, de to the dead, that has the power to speak sight to the spiritually blind. Nevertheless, salvation is free for us, not for Jesus, but for us. But while salvation is based on grace through faith, rewards are based on grace-fueled faithfulness. While I'm going to heaven, what do I have to worry about? An eternity of zero rewards. An eternity of nothing to show for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I shared this with you a week or two, I think it was last Sunday night. Our works are going to pass through the fire of God's judgment to prove whether our works, not our sins, those are paid for, those are removed from the east is from the west. You're not given account for your sin. You get to heaven, there's not going to be a big screen up in heaven with all of your sins you've ever done for everybody to see. Uh-uh, no, heresy. My sins are gone. East, as far as east is from the west, Jesus is taking care of that. What's going to be judged then? Whether I get any rewards or not. Not my sin, but my service. How did I spend my time? How did I spend my money? How did I spend my energy? How did I use the gifts? Or did I use the gifts that God has given me? Salvation is based on grace through faith. Rewards are based on grace-fueled faithfulness. And to this church, God says, thou art rich. You say, well, what was the condemnation this church received Ephesus got a pretty strong one you've lost your first love you better repent or I'm going to come and snuff your lamp out I'm going to move it out of the way this church gets zero condemnation now friends 
that does not mean it was a perfect church. It doesn't mean it was a perfect church. But it means that when someone is struggling, that's not the time. That's not the time to correct them on something or to judge them about something. When your kid's legitimately in tears, I'm not talking about fake tears, right? I'm not talking about crocodile tears. When your kid is genuinely struggling, that's not the time to pull out your best dad speech or your best mom speech. That's not the time. Jesus is giving us a picture here. When somebody is struggling, what they need is picked up. Then you can help correct some of the issues they're dealing with. Jesus doesn't lay any other burden on them right now. Commendation, yes, but no condemnation. Now, I want you to see the challenge and warning to the church here. What does Jesus say to this church back in Revelation chapter 2? Fear not, verse 10, those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Don't fear. Fear not what is coming. These letters are written to local fellowships. They're also commands and warnings that have personal applications to each of us. And so I want to, if you will indulge me for a few moments this morning, I want to read to you from a couple of different, I won't, I won't read the, the entire passages, but I, I want to read to you from just a couple of ancient documents. One of them written circa AD 100 by the pastor of this church, a man named Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, disciple of the Apostle John, in a letter that he wrote to the Philippians. In other words, this is what he wrote after this church got this message. This is what he wrote to the church at Philippi. And then I want to, after that, read a little bit about what was written about him after his death. Because the devil is going to attack us, and we may not have to endure what Polycarp endured, but we'll endure what we will endure, and we need to make sure whatever that is that we do it faithfully so that those who endure persecution, he says, Jesus said, you're going to receive a crown of life, a victorious Stephanus crown. And so let me read to you an excerpt from what Polycarp wrote. Again, just a few years after getting this letter from John, he says, and uh, I, I won't read the entire passage, but Polycarp's letter to the Philippians, circa AD 100, wherefore let us forsake the vain things, doing of the many and their false teachings, turn unto the word which was delivered unto us from the beginning, being sober unto prayer, constant in fastings. It's amazing when you read this letter how often he quotes the apostles in the, in the New Testament. Just scripture after scripture he references. In, uh, prayer, constant fastings, entreating the all-seeing God with supplications, that he bring us not into temptation, according as the Lord said, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Let us therefore without ceasing hold fast by our hope, and by the earnest of our righteousness, which is Jesus Christ, not our own goodness, but our righteousness is Jesus Christ, he says, who took upon our sins in his own body upon the tree, who did not sin, neither was God found in his mouth, but for our sakes he endured all things that we might live in him. Let us therefore become imitators of his endurance. And if we should suffer for his name's sake, in other words, pray that you don't have to, but if you do, He endured all things. 
pray that we're imitators of his, his endurance. If we should suffer for his name's sake, in that suffering, he says, let us glorify him, for he gave us this example to us in his own person. And we believe this. He goes on and talks again. For sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to read. You can find his letter online. Uh, it's public domain. You can find it several places. Polycarp letter to the Philippians. But I want to also read to you from a book called The Martyrdom of Polycarp, which was written about 50 plus years after, about 54 years. Uh, well, his martyrdom occurred 54 years after he wrote this letter. It's actually in AD 55. Polycarp was burned at the stake in AD 155, at the age of 86, because he refused to worship Caesar and the pagan gods. After his death, the church of Smyrna wrote a letter to be sent, quote, to the church of God, which sojourneth in uh, Philomelium, and to all the brotherhoods of the Holy and Universal Church, sojourning every place. In other words, this was an open letter to all the churches that his church, this church that received this letter, some 60 years earlier, how they responded to God's word. The church of Smyrna believed that Polycarp's martyrdom was special and a model for Christian witness. Chapter 1 ends, quote, For nearly all the foregoing events came to pass that the Lord might show us once more an example of martyrdom which is comfortable to the gospel. For he, speaking of Polycarp, for Polycarp lingered that he might be delivered up, even as the Lord did, to the end that we too might be imitators of him not looking only to that which concerneth ourselves, but also to that which concerneth our neighbors. For it is the office of true and steadfast love, not only to desire that oneself be saved, but all the brethren also. In other words, he said, if you want to be like Polycarp, and you should be, you need to love the unsaved people around you. Yes, even the ones who are persecuting you. Polycarp was offered his freedom. If he would only denounce Christ, his reply, this is in chapter nine. Fourscore and six years have I been his servant and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saves me? As he's being threatened with martyrdom, we're going to feed you to the wolves. We're going to feed you to the dogs. We're going to feed you to the lions. Go right ahead. Oh, fine. You think you're smart? How about an even more? That, uh, more painfully, we're going to burn you at the stake. Light the match, he said, but he has never failed me. I will never fail him. I'm not going to deny him. I will cause thee to be consumed by fire if thou despisest the wild beast, unless thou repent. But Polycarp said, thou threatenest that fire which burneth for a season. And after a little while is quenched, for thou art ignorant of the fire of the future judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But why delayest thou? Come, do what thou wilt. Stop talking and light the match, he said. 86 years old. Died for his faith. Countless others, over almost 2,000 years, died for faith in Jesus Christ. How easily we are discouraged. How easily we are hindered by the simple attacks of the enemy. But bigger attacks are coming. Do you believe what Jesus promises? There's the call to heed the Spirit. He that hath an ear, verse 11, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
What is the Spirit saying? He that overcometh, which is all believers, shall not be hurt of the second death. All they can do, Jesus says, is kill your body. All they can do, say, I don't want that. I don't want it either. Right? I'm a wimp. I can't even stand the sight of blood. I'm about to pass out. Right? Elijah's bleeding. Uh, Gigi, <laughs> come help me. Yeah, help him too, but uh, she used to come home from work, and you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. Say, honey, I mean, please, I'm about to pass out. You're just talking about it. I don't even see it. This is a man who stood at the stake, and he remembered the promise that God made to this church. He was the bishop of this church. He remembered the promise. All they can do is kill you, and I will be there when they do. And you will be rewarded forever and ever. And Polycarp said, I'll take that deal. Light the match. Light the match. The promise of the overcomers. We will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is damnation to hell. The first death, by the way, is just physical death. That's not to belittle it. It's a pain. It's a trial. It's a suffering. But it's a seasonal suffering. It's a temporary pain. Do you know the one who will save you from the second death? That's the question this morning that we close with. Every believer knows the one who has already conquered death. Our eternity is secure in him. Do you know him? Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? God, you are so faithful to us. You have endured rejection. You have endured torture. You have endured death for us. And God, you promise us hope in you and only you if we will simply believe. Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't have that hope, what awaits them is the eternal fire. God, we pray this would be the day that when they would call out to you, your death for sin, your resurrection for eternal life, and trust in you and be saved. What a celebration that would be. But God, for those of us who know and believe and we are suffering today. I know there's so many of us that are suffering here this morning, God. Give us strength and hope in the promises and in the faithfulness of the God who made those promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you have a need, the altar's open. Would you sing with me as we close?
morning. If I could talk you down the aisle, the devil can talk you right back out. We're going to sing one more verse. I want to sing the last verse as we close today. If you have a need, the altar is open. Don't wait until we leave. You may never be back here again. Let's sing. Pardon for sin and a peace that praise and glory for your faithfulness. God, we have the promise that was given to Timothy that even when we are faithless, you are faithful and you cannot disown yourself. God, you can't despise yourself. God, thank you that when we are doubting, when we are timid, when we are fearful, God, that you are forgiving and faithful. God, help us to be strengthened by the testimony of Polycarp, the testimony of this church that still lives on today and the hope that we have in the very great and very precious promises of God. We love and thank you. It's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great evening today, rest of your day. Lord willing, we'll see you on Wednesday night. God bless you. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.